If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. I'm excited to share the Word of God today. I, I, I feel like the Lord has given me a, a message for the church today. I'll be sharing with you from Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, and we'll be, begin reading with verse 10. But before I do, I want to share a little background to this passage. Uh, it's probably familiar to most of you or all of you, uh, but some background uh, of Exodus 14. As you may know, the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And uh, their, their, their slavery was as slavery is. It was a horrible experience. And God raised up Moses as the one to lead them out of bondage. And after King Pharaoh of Egypt repeatedly refused to let the Israelites go, he finally relented following a series of plagues that God sent upon the land of Egypt. But after the Israelites left Egypt, Pharaoh regretted his decision. He said, we've just let our slave labor go. What have we done? And so he organized his army and uh, pursued the Israelites. And in the, uh, the passage we're going to read here, he had caught up to them. And uh, they found themselves trapped between the Red Sea in front of them, which they didn't know how to cross, and Pharaoh's army behind them. And so that being the context, we pick up in verse number 10 of Exodus 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. The title of my message today is How to Win a Losing Battle. How to Win a Losing Battle. We're all familiar with that phrase, right? Losing battle. Uh, say, I, boy, I, I just decided to give up because I realized I was fighting a losing battle. It's, it's a phrase that that uh, speaks of hopelessness, you know, a no-win situation. 
And that's what the Israelites seemingly found themselves in. As I said, they were trapped with the Red Sea before them and Pharaoh's army behind them. Often, just like the Israelites, we find ourselves in situations where we feel trapped. There are no viable options, and we end up frustrated and in despair, feeling hopeless. Ever feel that way? Trapped and hemmed in, uh, like you're fighting a losing battle. It can be uh, relating to a marriage or another relationship that's not going well. It can uh, have to do with a financial crisis. Health issues, emotional upheaval, job and career difficulties, or even a combination of several of these. That's always something when uh, we're, we're fighting on several fronts, isn't it? Fighting, losing battles seemingly on several fronts. And often the longer the situation goes on, uh, the worse it seems and the more hopeless we feel. And we don't know what to do. Fighting a losing battle. Well, I believe this passage details for us how to win a losing battle. What to do in those situations when we feel like we're fighting a losing battle. How do you win a losing battle? There are three commands here that Moses transmitted to the people of Israel that I believe tell us, give us keys into how to stand and fight a so-called losing battle, what to do when we're fighting a losing battle. Number one, stand firm. Don't give in to fear. Stand firm, don't go give in to fear. The Israelites complain to Moses. Why in the world did you lead us out here into this wilderness? Why didn't you leave us in Egypt where we were? You know, why did you have to, to bring us out here to die? And Moses answered the people, verse 13, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. You know, fear causes people to do strange things, doesn't it? Because they now found themselves in a seemingly hopeless situation, the Israelites actually said they'd rather be back in slavery in Egypt. Cruel, oppressive slavery. But they said because they were fearful, they didn't know what was going to happen. We'd have been better off back in Egypt. Fear causes people to do strange things. I remember there was a, a period in our church's history, we met... Uh, for the first nine years, we met in a shopping center. God blessed us. We had a space all to ourselves. We had uh, remodeled it and reconfigured it, and it, it, was, it was such a great blessing for us. Um, but uh, near the end of that, things became difficult. Our rent kept going up and up. And uh, the last year, year and a half or so, the, the one part of the space that we use for fellowship hall and classrooms, the... Uh, the uh, heating and air conditioning uh, broke down. And um, it was our responsibility as tenants to fix that. We didn't have the funds to fix that. And as I said, the rent was increasing. So um, during the winter months, uh, in our, our last winter there, uh, I, I had a series of space heaters set up in the Fellowship Hall classroom area, about five of them I think there were. And uh, I, would, I would get up on Sunday mornings about 5.30 in the morning. And let me tell you, 
you know, some of you may, may be up 5.30 in the morning on a regular basis. I'm not with you, okay? That's not my thing. Full disclosure. But I would get up about 5.30 in the morning, go up to, to the, the, the church space and turn on the space ears to get it warm for, for, uh, for that period of time and did that for the whole, whole winter. And so we ended up leaving that uh, place and uh, meeting temporarily in another church facility. A, a, another church in the area was gracious to share their space with us and they were, they were so kind to us and so good to us. Uh, but we were meeting on, on Saturday nights for our main service and uh, we had told the people when we, when we transitioned that we, expect, we didn't know what God was going to do, but we expected we'd be at this other church building, maybe six months, maybe to a year. Uh, well, it dragged on. It was more than a year and more than a year and a half. And we were there a year, almost two years, a year and uh, ten months it ended up being. And as it was dragging on, I actually caught myself thinking a little bit like the Israelites. Man, it was nice. And like I said, that church, was they were wonderful to us. But we didn't have our own space, you understand? So I was thinking, man, it was so nice in that shopping center. We had our own space. And then I caught myself thinking that. What are you thinking? Remember getting up 5.30 in the morning and going and turning on space eaters every week? And, and, and you know, being probably fearful and questioning what was going to happen. I was being like those Israelites. We tend to romanticize the past sometimes, don't we? When, when, when our situation in the present is uncertain or it's not the greatest thing in the world, we say, boy, I had it so great back then, and we leave out all the bad parts. That's what the Israelites were doing. And the word of the Lord uh, came through Moses to God's people saying, stand firm, don't give in to fear. See, the, the problem isn't that we fear, we're human beings. I don't care how brave you are, how courageous you fancy yourself, every one of us is subject to fear. Every one of us has things which, which, which you know, make us uh, a, a bit nervous. And the, the problem isn't that we get fearful, the problem is when we give in to our fears. When we begin to surrender to our fears. When we begin to retreat, we begin to go back because we're uncertain and we're fearful. In 1990, when then-President George Bush was mulling over the U.S. response to Iraq's invasion of Kuwait, specifically whether or not to remove Iraq's Saddam Hussein from power militarily, Britain's Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, who was known as the Iron Lady, remember her? She famously told the President, remember, George, this is no time to go wobbly. Famous quote, and I, I, I think the Lord would say to us when we find ourselves in a fearful situation, we're uncertain what's going to happen, and as I said, we feel like we're fighting a losing battle, we feel like things are hopeless, we are tempted to give in to fear, we are tempted to want to retreat, we are tempted to want to go back, and the Lord would say to us, this isn't a time to go wobbly. You may have fears, but you can take your fears to the Lord, and he will help you to stand firm to stand firm. What does it mean to stand firm? It means to not give in, to not turn back, to not uh, be overcome by our fear, but take our fear of the Lord. 
You may be in a situation right now, you may be in a situation that seems hopeless, like you're fighting a losing battle. That's a fearful thing. When you don't know what's going to happen, when you don't know uh, what the, how the circumstances will turn out, and we can be tempted to just give up. We can be tempted to just throw our hands up in the air and retreat and, and you know, quit our ministry or quit uh, you know, doing the things that, that we know God has led us to do because we're fearful and because we're afraid. I want to encourage you with the word of the Lord, stand firm today. Stand firm. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let the enemy win. See, fear is one of his greatest tools. As I said, we're all subject to it, but we need to not give in to it. We need to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, yes, I'm fearful. Yes, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust in you. So I want to encourage you today. Don't give in to your fear. Stand firm. Stand firm. What's the second command that God gave uh, to Israel through Moses? It's, it's this. Be still. See God fight for you. Be still. In verse 14, uh, he said specifically, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Boy, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? There were many times in Scripture when God told his people to be still. And such commands were usually accompanied by the reassurance that God would act on behalf of his people. In 1 Samuel 12, 16, the prophet Samuel said to Israel, Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. In Psalm 37, 7, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when, when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And Psalm 46, 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. There were also many times in Scripture when God assured his people that he would fight for them. Deuteronomy 3.22, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Joshua 23.10, one of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. 2 Chronicles 20.15, to King Jehoshaphat when Judah was attacked by, uh, by five armies. The Lord said, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours but God's. You say, what's behind this notion of standing still? It's, it's letting God fight for us. Letting God fight for us. You know, sometimes we just want to fix everything, don't we? And we think, if I just can do this, and if I can just do this, and say this, and, 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 and you know, defend myself, and, and, and do this, and that, we, we, I, I'm just going to fix it. And what happens? Nine times out of ten, it gets much worse. Because it's, it's, it's something we can't fix. You ever come across a problem you can't fix? Boy, it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? And especially if you're a type A personality. You're, you're, just, used, you're just used to being a fixer, you know? Some, some, some people pride themselves. I, 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 whatever it is, no problem, we'll fix it. When you're coming across situations in life you can't fix, what do you need to do? You need to be still. Being still means let God do what you can't do. You know, when a, a little kid is picked on by a bully, the situation changes when the little kid's big brother comes on the scene, doesn't it? And he takes care of the bully. 
How many know God will take care of the bullies in your life? God will take care of the enemies that oppose you. I shared this before. I'm going, to, I'm going to share it again. Some of you have heard it, but we were away on a trip, and I got an email from somebody uh, letting me uh, just, just kind of a torrent of complaints about the church and uh, just a long list of problems and complaints about me and the church. And uh, I did what uh, my flesh told me to do. I composed a reply. I didn't just compose a reply. I composed a masterpiece, okay? And, and, and editorial, um, you know, creation that, you know, I edited. I stayed up all night long. My family was sleeping. We were in a hotel room. I stayed up all night long composing a reply. No, I didn't say that right. Let me say, no, let me say this a little stronger, you know. A point-by-point refutation of every complaint that was made against me because I knew I was right. And I sent it off. And I was a terrible person to be with the next day because I hadn't slept one wink. But I answered my critic, bless God. And I was right. I was right. And what do you think happened? How much good do you think that did? I heard back from the person, they said, you know, you're completely right, I withdraw everything I ever said. Not a chance. Did absolutely no good. Pretty, I'm pretty sure, I'm fairly sure it made it a good bit worse. Boy, did I learn my lesson. You know, there are times we have to explain ourselves when people uh, criticize they don't have all the information. That's, that's legitimate. But there are times no bit of explanation will satisfy the critics. There are times when we just can't fix everything. And that's the time and what I should have done then and what I hopefully learned and have done since. There are times we just have to be still and let God fight for us. Doesn't matter what the critics say if we're following God. Doesn't matter what the complainers say. Be still. Be still means don't feel like you need to get your hands in it all the time. Like you need to make it better. Be still and let God fight for you. That was the message that God gave to the Israelites as they're fighting a seemingly losing battle. And that's the message he sends to you and me today. Stand firm. Don't give in to your fear. Be still. See God fight for you. What's the third command? We find it in verses 15 and 16. It's this. Move on. Go forward in obedience and faith. The Lord said to, um, to Moses, <laughs> he actually said, what are you crying to me for? How would you feel if God said that to you? Lord, I need you. What are you crying to me for? He said, tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. There are two implications of God's command. First of all, when he says, what are you crying to me for? Raise your staff and stretch your hand out over the sea to divide the water. Uh, the first implication is use the resources you already have. 
Say, now, Pastor Tim, you're saying move on. You just told us to stand firm and to be still. So I'm confused. Which is it? Okay, it's very simple. Uh, there's a time to stand firm and not retreat. There's a time to be still and what, see God fight for you. And then there's a time to move on and do what God tells you to do. No contradiction at all. All right? Be still, yes, and see God fight for you. But then do what God tells you to do. And use the resources you have. Moses had used that, that staff. He called it a stick. God called it his staff. Remember when he was in Pharaoh's court? And God told him to throw, the, throw the, the, the staff down. It became a serpent. And Pharaoh's uh, you know, magicians, they, oh, that's no big deal. And they threw their staffs down and then their staffs became serpents. But Moses' staff ate up all the other staffs. Staffs slash serpents. So... God had given him that staff. And he said, raise that staff and divide the waters. Use the resources you have. Church, God has given us resources. He's given us his holy word. So much of today's church is biblically illiterate. And I say that with love. We don't read God's word. If, if, if we hear it on Sunday morning... If we're in church, that's sometimes, for some of us, that's about it. Church, the, the word of God is our spiritual food. It's our spiritual life. It's our guidebook for living. It's, it's our answer when we find ourselves fighting, losing battles. Use the resources that use the word of God. We don't know. We're in a tight situation. We know, we kind of know, well, this is kind of the right thing to do. But if I do that, oh, man, I'm going to have this consequence. And this is going to, and, 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 and so it's, it's going to be a whole, man, if I, if I say, do the thing, if I'm honest in this situation, and if I, if I just do the right thing, man, I know I'm going to have a whole lot of problems come down on me. What should I do? Well, see, the word of God answers that dilemma. Do the right thing. As someone said, it's always the right thing to do the right thing. Think about that later when you're having lunch, okay? So we have, we have prayer. We can go to God. We can look to him. We have a church family. We have, we have church leaders and others, spiritually mature Christians, who we can turn to and say, pray for me. Lift me up to the Lord. Use the resources you have. What's the second implication of God's command to, to move on. It's this, trust God to take care of the details as you obey him. He said, raise your staff and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. They had to step out in obedience and faith. The Bible says that the, uh, the, the waters... A wind blew, God sent a wind to blow the, the waters, and the waters stood up as walls on the left and right, and the, through the center was dry ground. What did the Israelites have to do? The miracle wasn't complete. They had to walk through on dry ground. Can you, you know, we, some of us have heard the, the story of the Red Sea crossing since, you know, since we could, since our earliest memories. Can you imagine walking on dry ground through the middle of a sea and seeing these monstrous walls of water on either side? Can you imagine some people going? I mean, wouldn't that have been incredible? 
How'd you like to see the video on that? It took faith. It took trust in the word of God and obedience. And so they did that. They walked through. Uh, obedience and faith are inextricably linked. I, I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, said. Uh, some of you may remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who was part of the resistance to, to Hitler and, and gave his life a few days before the end of uh, World War II. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes. Go forward in obedience of it. Move on. There's a time to move on. In his book, One Small Barking Dog, Ed Gunger encourages believers that tiny points of obedience in our lives work together to bring about God's will in the world. He says this. He says, a perfect illustration of this is the work of the 19th century painter George Surratt, who is considered the father of point pointillism a form of art in which images are painted using tiny dots of color. Stay with me. His paintings are amazing to behold because from a distance they appear as slices of life at the park, the harbor, the opera, the circus, the beach, or field, whatever. But when you get up close, you look, you just see it's just thousands of dots, colored dots, that make up those big pictures. And the author Gunger adds, he said, I believe this is how God works his will in our world. He uses millions of teeny tiny dabs of obedience from the ordinary lives of believers to bring about the big picture. His will for the world. You see, our lives are just part of an immensely big picture. But what God does is he uses our little points of obedience and faith and trust in him to work his will in the world. We serve a great big God and we're part of his great big world. And there's a time God tells you, move on, go forward in faith and obedience. Get involved in that ministry. Speak that word. Uh, uh, share the gospel with that person. You think their heart is too hard to hear it. Sometimes we just need to move on. We need to launch out. God, there, there, there are some of you here, I believe God wants to birth new ministries, whether in Harvest Church or otherwise, but he's, he's waiting on you to obey his word, to step out in faith and say, God, if you would have me do it, I'm going to move on. I'm going to step, go forward in your name. Moving forward. What does God want you to do? I, you know, you got a picture yesterday, that video that was so great of, of just the different stations and all the people who were involved. It was a ton of people pulling, that, uh, pulling off that event yesterday. And, and that's, the, that's the way the ministries of our church work. And, uh, you know, people, people sometimes wonder. We, we have this uh, notion sometimes that somebody will do it. You know somebody with a capital S, you know? And that needs to be taken care of, and there's a problem here, and it, who's gonna do that? I, well, somebody will. Poor old somebody. He gets, char he, he gets assigned all these tasked, tasks, but you know who ends up really doing it much of the time? Nobody. With a capital N, right? Because we just feel, somebody's gonna do it. 
Maybe you're the somebody that God wants to birth something new, that God wants to use to advance his kingdom in a particular way. Go forward in obedience and faith. God said to Moses, tell the Israelites to move on. We've been, we've been, we've been standing here. They've been standing here between this Red Sea and this army long enough. Move on, go forward in obedience and faith. The conclusion of the biblical narrative in Exodus 14, you know the story, is that when Moses raised his staff, as I said, the Lord caused a mighty wind to blow and raise up walls of water on the left and the right. The Israelites marched through on dry ground and the Egyptians said, hey, there's a path through the sea. We're going to go through too. We're going to follow them. And as they did, the Bible says the Lord caused the wheels to fall off their chariots and they uh, were, were stuck in confusion. It started getting a little muddy and God returned uh, the, the water to its rightful place and every one of them was drowned. Not one of them survived. Fulfilling the prophetic word that God gave through Moses, you will never see this army again. Because God brought the victory. God's people had won a losing battle. And so can you. Come on, church. God's either the same God he was then or he's not. What's your vote? How do you feel? How many believe God's the same yesterday, today, and forever? How many believe God loves you as much as he loved the nation of Israel then? How many believe God wants to help you to win a so-called losing battle? What do you need to do? You need to first stand firm. Don't give in to your fear. Don't retreat. Don't give up. Don't go back. Stand firm. Yes, you may be fearful. Bring your fears to the Lord. Stand firm. Don't give in to your fear. Secondly, he wants you to be still and see him fight for you. See him work on your behalf. See him do what you could never to do. See him fix what you don't have a hope of fixing in your own ability. Be still and see God fight for you. And third, move on. Go forward in obedience and faith. Say yes to God. What is God saying to you right now? What is God leading you into right now? Are you hearing his voice? Are you hearing his voice and saying yes? Or are you just kind of shoving it to the side, shushing? You know, we can, we can, we can, we can silence the voice of God. We can, we can just kind of ignore it. Let's not ignore the voice of God. We can win a so-called losing battle. 